0: So the first time a guy ever asked me to dance, I was hanging out at, um, our family was on this vacation and my family and his family were friends and we were on vacation together and the town had like a teen dance. And I was going in to sixth grade in the fall so I was considered a teen by the parents in charge and I was feeling pretty cool. I'll be honest, I clearly remember my outfit. It was um, orange, What the heck? Neon orange jogger
1: pants. Nice.
0: And um, a tie dye neon shirt. Wow. And this was very cool. And it's actually cool again. So that's why I'm telling you, (laughs) um, because I feel good about myself. And so our families were on this vacation together. We go to this dance and I have got to be honest. I was living my best life in that moment on the dance floor. If you know me, you realize that I have no sense of music whatsoever i have no sense of rhythm or beat and i cannot dance for the life of me but at this moment in my personal history i was unaware of that and so i was out on the dance floor just dancing up a storm and going for it just yes enjoying my best life and just it was awesome every single song going hardcore and then all of a sudden something very awkward happened the cool awesome dance music came to a screeching halt and suddenly a love ballad came on. Now, guys, I'll, I'll admit it, every girl in young middle school in this moment immediately flees the dance floor and pretends to go to the bathroom. We're all in there, okay? We're all checking our makeup and just faking our way through the slow dance because we're not sure how to act in middle school, and that was me. But As I'm making my way to the bathroom very quickly, up comes behind me a boy that was a friend of the family that we had gone to the dance with, him and my brother and his brother and like a whole group of us and his name was Alex Cresswell and he taps me on the shoulder as I'm trying to run to the bathroom and he says would you like to dance with me? Oof. My actual answer is to spin around like this and run away. I left the dance, y'all. Oh, I left no. the dance. I went directly back to our condo that our families were sharing and um, Wait, went to didn't you say bed.
1: that you guys were on vacation together? Yes,
0: our parents were sharing like a condo Like so, so you
1: left knowing full well he was following you home because that was his home for the moment too.
0: Yes, that was also oof, true. Oof. And I just went to bed and pretended that I was asleep. The next morning, we were waking up, packing up, and going home, and I did not speak to him whatsoever oh. and still have not spoken to Alex Cresswell oh. to this day. I'm still wondering if he's, like, waiting to see if I want to dance or <laughs> if he's kind of read between the I'm lines. I'm just going
1: to say I think that ship has sailed. Yeah, uh. I,
0: I think so. I... I <laughs> I did not handle the situation well, uh, to be honest, in case you couldn't tell. (laughs) And I feel like I made a lot of mistakes in my young life as um, going through teenage years with dating, mostly because I had already made a decision that I didn't want to date. In middle school, I wanted to um, play sports and hang out with my friends. In high school, I had found Jesus and I wanted to make Jesus the center of my life and also wanted to play varsity soccer all four years. And so that was way more important to me than dating, and I had made that decision. So whenever, like, a guy came near, I just took out double-barreled bazooka guns of rejection, (laughs) and I just shot those poor boys up right in the gut, didn't care. I was harsh and mean and rude, and I kind of left, like, a lot of pain in the wake. In the end, um, I didn't find true love for myself until I was uh, 30 years old, and he was— Pretty cool guy, he came to this church. I'd known him for about five years. We were already friends. Um, When he first approached me and I had just finished preaching in big church and he came up to me and he said, "'Would you like to go to lunch with me?' And I did, and I knew in that moment that, that the relationship was going to change and that my life was going to change because he was a guy. <laughs>
1: Sean, this
0: isn't middle school.
1: Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. I just love a, a good love story.
0: I know. He was a guy I could be proud of. He was a hard worker. He owned his own business. He loved Jesus. He centered his life around church and God and serving God. And so I knew that this was going to be the beginning of something really special.
1: This is me with popcorn,
0: yeah, <laughs> this is the best. I love it. Okay. In the end, he's the only guy I ever dated. He was my first kiss, my first date, my first slow dance. So I am kind of glad I shot down Alex Cresswell. Yeah, take that Alex. Yeah, Alex. Um, <laughs> and it was a happily ever after, but also I will, I have to be honest, and this is something I haven't said much in the last 20 some years of teaching students about dating is that in the end at age 30, it turned out great. But from 15 to 30 were some real awkward moments when it comes to dealing with dating and the opposite sex. And there was a lot of hurt and heartache on my side and on the side of other people. And I think if I had it to do over again, I would sit down my 15-year-old self and I would say, listen, you don't need to double barrel bazooka a guy just because he has feelings for you and you have feelings for him. You don't have to be a jerk. And it's okay to have those feelings, it's okay to press into them, and, it, and it's okay to hang out with them. Um, but also, the right guy is gonna come, okay? He's gonna come, maybe think about it, and make a list of what you're hoping to find in a husband, so that when he comes along, you can recognize him. Because apparently, he told me he had been trying to flirt with me at the info desk for nine months Oof. before I realized it would was, have considered that us friends. That's a hard one to hear. So he would like, this is what he would do. He told me he would, he would go home, he would think of a joke or a topic to talk to me about the next Sunday at church. Then he'd approach the info desk and try to engage me in conversation. But I was in like work mode. Right. Sunday's like the worst mode. day to do that. Yeah. And so he would start talking to me and half the time I would just like blow him off or walk away from the joke, not getting it. And he would just think to himself, I get to try again in
1: six more days. Aww. I
0: know. I felt bad for him. So I, I think I would have like... You know, maybe not been so harsh. I think that's the big thing.
1: I gotcha. Well, I did the exact opposite. Uh, While JL only ever danced and kissed and married one person, that is not my story. I did the exact opposite, like literally the complete opposite. I tried to date all of the girls in high school all of the time. So when I was in high school, particularly my sophomore year, I didn't feel good. And I'm not talking about like I had the sniffles, like just in, in general, I didn't feel good like i didn't i didn't really feel good about who i was i didn't really feel good about my home life i didn't really feel good about who i was becoming i just didn't feel good and i was constantly stuck in a cycle of like insecurity and comparison and and i just i was always trying to be somebody i wasn't i was always trying to be the coolest or the funniest or or like the most hardcore guy like and i'm not any of that like i was a band nerd just flat out like i was not Anyways, that's irrelevant. I'll talk about it later. But um, I, I was always trying to be somebody I wasn't. So I got to a point where I couldn't look at myself in the mirror without hating what I saw. And so there was this one time I was with a friend of mine who was a girl and I was sharing all of these things. with Exactly. Thanks for defending yep, me, guys. Right. I, I was sharing all of those things with her. And what I discovered is not only did she disagree with me and not believe those things about me, but she also felt the opposite. She had feelings for me. And I was like, oh, this is new. I don't know what this is like. And so this started a kind of half relationship with this girl. And, and we hung out like a good bit, but we went to different schools. So we, we didn't like hang out as much as you would like every day. And, and I had had like middle school style girlfriends. You know what I mean when I say that? Like you say that you're dating, but really your relationship is you just like awkwardly pass them in the hallway and you're like, that's my girlfriend, like I've said three words to her before. And then you go to a dance together and you don't dance together. Yeah, you hide in the bathroom. Exactly, that kind of relationship. That was all the girlfriends I had up till this point. But this girl, this relationship was different. You see, I was barely a sophomore, pretty naive to the things of love. And this girl, she was older. She was a junior, right? And she knew stuff I didn't know like calculus and US history and American <laughs> government. I hadn't taken those classes yet, but, but other stuff too. Like she knew other stuff that I didn't. Like what? Oh. <laughs> While I didn't lose my virginity in that relationship, I lost something else. I lost my purity, I lost my boundaries, and I lost my will against sexual desire. I started to believe a lie in that relationship. I started to believe that because this girl was into me in more than a let's go to a dance together and never look at each other kind of way, I must have value and worth, right? I must be worth something. I must be like cool and, and have these values that I didn't realize I had. And this relationship turned physical way faster than it should have. And so then I ended up putting those two ideas together. My worth and my value was only found through physical relationships with girls. Like I said, I was a band nerd who was really into things that were not popular at this time. Like I was into like thrift store clothes. That's popular now, by the way. It wasn't then. It was like you buy your stores. You don't go to Hollister. Do you guys know what Hollister is? Yes. Okay. It doesn't exist in a, like a brick and mortar store anymore. Anyways, I wasn't popular. That's what I'm trying to get at. I was un... We can tell. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for throwing me that lifeline. I was unpopular. And then all of a sudden... I start getting attention from girls and not just girls in band, but girls in all social circles. Like I didn't, I didn't know what to do with myself. Like whatever I was selling, they were buying. And so it turned into this where the attention I was getting was this attention that I craved deep down inside because I wasn't being filled up with the love that I felt I deserved at home. And I wasn't being filled up with the love I needed from Jesus. And this is a horrible need to try and fulfill in dating relationships. So I started to try and then date and then sleep with every girl that would give me the time of day. And in the moment, I think it was because I thought it was fun. You know, I, I, all of a sudden my confidence was building. Girls were giving me attention. I was not a cool guy. And so I, I, but looking back, I think it's for a completely different reason altogether. I mean, you always hear that guys only wanna get into girls' pants, right? Like that's a thing, like girls say that. And, and that's kind of true and it was for me, but it's not for the reason that you're thinking. Like I said, I was, I was looking for value. I was looking for worth, and I was finding it in this place, this physical relationship, this sexual relationship and and honestly, it just caused more damage than it was worth. When I was in high school, it was cool if you were a guy and you were sexually active, like you just were celebrated, you were like, the man, it was macho, it was a thing and and it was you were celebrated and and All I've discovered is that I was looking for my worth in the wrong places. I was looking for something that only Jesus could truly satisfy in me. And if I could talk to my 15-year-old self, if I could sit myself down, I would say, stop wearing girls' jeans and black band t-shirts and cut your hair for the love. But I also would say, find an answer to your pain that isn't sleeping around. Girls can't determine your worth. Insecurity is not and cannot be solved by sex. How you are going about fixing yourself is making it worse. So not only did I end up hurting myself more, I ended up hurting a bunch of girls that did not deserve it. I ended up breaking their hearts and my own. And so this week we wanted to talk to you, like obviously we're still in our sex and dating series. And so we wanted to talk to you about how to date well, how to, how to go about this, because obviously neither one of us really nailed it, right? Especially Jael, like her, her story was way, <laughs> Everybody's looking at me. Um, So we wanted to talk about How to date well, because as you know, our stance at 4640 is wait to date for as long as you can, but we know that you're going to date eventually. And so we wanted to give you a really practical kind of playbook of how to date well. And so we're gonna start off by saying, I know we say this all the time, but wait to be physical. Wait until marriage to be physical with somebody. Song of Solomon, chapter eight, verse four B in the message translation says, don't excite love, don't stir it up until the time is ripe. And when you're ready, Wait until marriage to be physical in a relationships. because every time you enter into a physical relationship with somebody, it's like you're giving them a piece of your heart, it's called a soul tie. And so we have this lovely cake over here and this cake is gonna represent our heart. So this is your heart. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna pretend there's a new marriage tradition out there. On your wedding day, before you cut this cake and share it with your spouse and have a beautiful moment where you're know, you like smashing each other's faces, we're laughing, we're having a good time, right? Not so, not so fast. Every ex in your life gets to come out and take a piece of this cake before you share it with your spouse, right? And it's not like they're gonna come out and they're gonna take a nice piece of cake, right? They don't like you, you're an ex, right? So they're gonna come out and they're gonna take that piece of your heart. There's, there's Bethany, there's Angie, there's Transom. I don't know a lot of girls' names. <laughs> because wait, wait. I don't want s- to, <laughs> I don't know. There's a, I didn't want to say anybody's name in the room because that'd okay. be awkward, but anyway. Bertha,
0: you, Olga, those are
1: Exactly, those are actual, those are actual names. names. So every time you have a sexual relationship, <laughs> you're giving away a piece of your heart. And then on your wedding day, when you're presenting your wedding cake, your heart, right? It, it ends up looking gnarly and nasty because every ex has taken a piece of it, right? And, and, it's, and it's just ugly. And so then when it finally comes time to cut the cake with your spouse, your cake looks like this. You could, we could have presented a beautiful, like pure cake to our spouse. And that's a lot like what our, our, our heart is. I actually have a towel down oh, here. Oh yeah, so you okay. brought your own towel. Yeah, Hope that's was good. prepared. Yeah. It's
0: my birthday tomorrow. So I thought that was my birthday cake, but uh, apparently it's Well, just, it's I found fine. this
1: backstage. It's um, fine, thank you. We'll get a different cake for that. Okay.
0: Um, So Song of Solomon 8.4 that Pastor Sean read a couple seconds ago, don't excite love. Another translation says don't awaken love until the time is right. There is literally within the soul of every human being the capacity for romantic love. And the longer you push off dating, the slower that is to awaken. The earlier you start dating, you start awakening that inside of you. And once it's awoken, It demands to be fed, and it begins a progression, and sex is a progression. So it doesn't just start with penetration. There's a progression of touch, and touch moves forward, marching along in every relationship you have. So last week, Pastor Madeline showed us these two lines, and we had one line, and the question that everybody asks is, how far is too far? And so we recognize that touch is a progression, relationship is a progression, and so when, when love, romantic love within us first awakens, we're all moving forward towards the line. And what everyone wants to talk about is this line. So we're moving towards, forwards towards this line, and this is the line of virginity. When we cross this line, we've given up our virginity, penetration, intercourse has occurred. And most people are concerned about the idea of, I know God says don't give away your virginity before marriage, so we're concerned, how close to this line, how far can I get without you know, crossing the line and offending God's direction about my sexuality? And so we're worried about this line. But the Bible also says in 1 Corinthians that there's another line. That's way back here, that's another boundary that God gave us, and that's the line of sexual immorality. So we can be virgins, but sexually unpure. We, we can maintain our virginity never having had intercourse and still have crossed this line into sexual immorality and have things in our life that we will later regret and later feel guilty about. And because touch is a progression, and all touch eventually propels us forward and closer towards intercourse, that's the way the human soul and body are designed. And because touch is that progression, it's important to set up boundaries before the lines. Like you, you, it's like you're driving down an interstate road and on the side of it is a cliff. Like picture like Red Mountain Pass, right? There's like a giant cliff. They put a boundary there, not hanging off the cliff, but a few feet in to protect you. And so when it comes to sexuality, we have to create our own boundaries to prevent ourselves from going over the cliff to sexual immorality or over the cliff into giving up our virginity before marriage. God actually wants you to have sex, He wants you to have a lot of sex. And he says that sex is good. But he says, as the designer of sex, have all the sex in marriage. Just wanna get that out for y'all. So if you're going to stop moving progression of sex and touch forward and stop before the sexual immorality line, you have to have these boundaries set up. And so relationships require boundaries. And one boundary that we created when my husband and I were dating is we said, I was 30 years old and I set my own curfew. I was a grown woman, the college degree, a job, and I owned my own house. (laughs) And I had to make a curfew of 10 p.m. Because... After 10 p.m., I lost my skills.
1: It's so true. My wife and I had the same boundary. And What time was your curfew? 10 p.m. also. And it was like 9.59. We're like talking furiously. And it was like 10 p.m. I was like, all right. Got to go. All right, See ya. Them's, them's the rules, kid. And then you just get in the car and you leave. Like,
0: and I, I think the reason we set a 10 p.m. curfew is because we realize we lose skills and nothing good happens after dark. Like
1: nothing. Right. right. The lines, you cross them. The lines are not glow in the dark, so (laughs) in the dark, you can't see them. So that's why you need boundaries. (laughs) You need to leave. That's not in the script. That's not in the script.
0: Okay. So one way to set up your boundaries is you must have a clear conversation with the person you're dating about how far is too far. So if you're mature enough to date, you're mature enough to talk about sexuality with your partner. If you cannot talk about sexuality with your partner, that should be a red flag to you saying, wait a sec, you're not quite ready to date. And and that's okay, because again, we encourage you to delay dating as long as possible. But when the time is right and you begin dating a person, you have a conversation. You say, we've been dating two weeks. You need to talk about how far in this stage of your relationship you're willing to go Physically.
1: Right, and that's going to look different per stage, right? Yeah, so like, you might
0: have the talk at two weeks. You might have the talk at two months, months. six months, a year. Because
1: these two relationships look completely different. This is hand-holding. This is stay away from that line. Like, I'll, I'm looking at all of you. Right. <laughs> like, the
0: longer you've been dating, the harder it is to, to stay on this side of the line. Right. Right. So at first, you might say, you know what? We're just getting to know each other. We're just friends. Um, we're trying to... We have romantic feelings and all the stuff, but... Let's limit ourselves to just holding hands for now and that's that's okay to do if and if neither of you wants to do that Chances are you don't have enough in common to actually build a relationship Because if you can't figure out how to talk to a person that you're just beginning to date about things that aren't making out Maybe it's not that good of a match
1: Right. And the truth is we always say go slow physically because there isn't much room for you to progress. Right. So if we, if you guys have the boundary talk and you're like, we're not going to pass that line, that space is not very big. And so if you're start
0: of relationship, start of
1: relationship to that line, that's not a lot of room to go. And so that's why we say wait to date, because if you're going to start dating, let's say you're a sophomore or junior before, if you're dating that person and their marriage material, it's going to be two, three, four years.
0: I mean, the earliest I would say is earliest is like post-graduation, so that right. should be three years. But for many, we wait till college graduation or after military service. Right,
1: and so what, what happens when you get up to that line? Like where else is your relationship gonna go? Because we've said, right, that touch is progressive. It has to go somewhere. So that's why we're saying take it so slow, so, 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 so slow, because that's three feet like from, you know what I mean? Like start to that line. It's not a lot of space to go.
0: And so you have to have these conversations and the conversations cannot happen after dark when there's heavy breathing. Okay. Right. <laughs> it has to occur in the light of day with Jesus present. Okay. Because it is way too easy to not care about your boundaries when you're all hot and heavy. They, you don't care in that
1: moment. You care a long time before that, right? You're not gonna like come out of it and be like, "Wait, our boundaries." Like that's right. not gonna happen. No, you're you're like in the back of the truck making yeah, like, out. Hold a blanket. Wait, we discussed wait. this. We're <laughs> hand holding only. Let's figure out what our how far is too far right now. And it's like you've gone too far. <laughs> we need to have this discussion. The boundary in the talk. Light so of day. what we
0: did, Lavelle and I, is. We had been dating a couple weeks and going on to our first month, and we were like, okay, we got to start talking about this because he's really attractive, and I really want to get to know him better, and the progression is moving forward. So we <laughs> went to a park in the middle of the day.
1: So did we. Why? Like, yeah, we literally, we, my we wife and I. We went to Lincoln Park. We went to Candy Oh,
0: thank food, God. So okay. We weren't at the park. same yeah, park. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't at the same time. It wasn't
1: at the same time.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> what are you doing Anyways. here? <laughs> <laughs> We went to Lincoln Park, we sat on a park bench, there were children playing in the background. Nothing romantical was going to happen in this context and we had the talk. We had the talk about where are we at now? If we're still dating in two months, what are we comfortable with? What are we comfortable with if it progresses towards engagement? How is this going to look? Where are all these lines? And it was awkward. It was weird because there's no like slow music playing in the background right. to set the mood. It's just like, and what are your thoughts about horizontal kissing?
1: Yeah, you know awkward. Are you it is comfortable to if I reach up your shirt with old people on the walking path? Yes, or like a dude with dreadlocks playing frisbee like 15 feet from you? Or a little three-year-old
0: on his strider. Yeah, his little strider bike. By.
1: Like, it's, it's a good place to talk about these things because there is no passion happening there. No. Nope. But it's still important to communicate, right? It's still important to talk about these things, talk them out. And so that's our next point. That's something else you need to be doing in your relationship is communicating. To be unclear is to be unkind, right? And so the opposite is true. To be clear is kind. And that means say what you need to say, Say the hard things, say the truth about what you believe and what you feel, how your boundaries look for you. You need to say that. You need to set those up because if you don't, you are setting yourself up for pain and failure. If you hold back the last 2%, that hard thing you need to say, it's only gonna go bad because if you're dealing with somebody's heart and you lie to them about how you feel, you say things they just wanna hear because you want to progress that relationship, you want to be attracted to them and and grow this thing. And it's hard to do. That's why we're saying have these conversations. If you do those things, you lie and you're not honest, you're gonna increase the pain and baggage for both of you. There are also two things that you should be thinking about saying, right? You should be thinking about, when should I say these things? When shouldn't I say these things? Should I be saying those things? And these are future-oriented things. The first thing is, I love you. We throw around that phrase so frivolously. I said the words, I love you, about Taco Bell Today. I don't love Taco Bell. I love my wife. Taco Bell gives me gas, man. Yeah, me too. Taco Bell does not treat Taco Bell's like it. Never mind. I can't make a joke. Taco Bell. We throw around "I love you" too much. We just do, and so we need to be thinking about when do we say "I love you." My wife and I, we did not say "I love you" until our wedding day. We said it in our marriage vows. That was a boundary we had because I had been through a bunch of heartache and broken relationship and all that stuff. And I love you didn't mean the same thing to me anymore. And so I had to really work on that definition and protect that and make it a sacred thing. For
0: me, I needed to hear I love you before he proposed. Because if he had proposed to me and not said I love you, I'd be like... Are we like had we progressed enough? Right. And so again, that becomes a personal thing that you are talking about in the relationship. And if you can't talk about these things, you're not ready to be dating them or exactly. it's not a good match.
1: Another thing you should really probably not be talking about is a future with that person. Right. And and So like we said, that space coming up to that line, that relationship is a good three to maybe five years, to maybe six or seven years before you actually are, like marriage is a possibility, right? And so if we're talking about in the first week of a high school relationship, what color cabinets are we gonna put in our dream home we build together? Who talks about that? Right, it doesn't make any, I, not me, Um, and so- But how many
0: girls have done this? When we have kids together, what should we name them?
1: Oh, let's pick uh, out names totally completely unrealistic in a high school relationship, right? I mean like you're more than likely not going to marry the person you're dating right now. And that's not true for everybody. There could be a relationship in high school that ends up in marriage. I know a few people who are that. But the chances are you're going to go to college and your life so There's gonna- an
0: actual statistic. It says 3% of people marry the person that they date in high school.
1: And so what we want you to realize in all of this is dating now is real. Right? It's not some sort of like junior fling thing. It's not like it's going to be over the summer and things are going to go back to normal. Everything's going to be the same. This is real. And so when you're dating and the decisions you make in a dating relationship, whether it be emotional, building a future together in dreaming or or sexual things like this is all going to have repercussions and things long term down the road. And the chances are you're not even going to be together. You're going to have to be dealing with that baggage. If you would wait to date, if you would wait to have these things, all of the communication, all of that stuff, if you would just wait as long as you can, you'll be saving yourself future heartache and pain in the future?
0: The average middle school relationship lasts three months with them waving in the hallway, right? The average high school relationship lasts less than six months. So if you start dating at age 13 and you don't get married, the actual nationwide average for marriage is 28 for your first marriage. Um, and so you're, you're gonna be dating for th- from age 13 to age 28, that's, I'm not good at math, That's That's a long, 15 years, Sean, 15 years. And your relationships will most likely be between three and six months long. So that's something like 30 dating partners, approximately, maybe some people less, some people a little more, if your relationship has lasted longer. And each one of those that doesn't end in marriage then ends in a breakup. And the psychological nature of breaking up is no different at age 16 than at age 36. It's not, your heart goes through the same tearing, the same ripping, the same rejection, the same loss. So a student who starts dating at age 13 and doesn't get married, in Grand Junction, I think people marry in their young 20s is kind of more of an average. So here it might be a 10 year process. Your heart would go through 10 divorces, 15, emotional divorces as you break up with different people. And some of those will feel less significant and some will feel more significant. But that's why really thinking through and slowing down everything in dating really works. Um, The next truth we want to expose to you is that we have to have accountability in our relationships. There should be someone in your life that's asking you if you're dating how it's going. How's he treating you? Is he being emotionally supportive? Is he being too restrictive? How are you treating him? Are you, are you being appropriate? Are you flaunting yourself? Are you trying to arouse him and then leave him? Like, what is, what, how are you acting? Is your physical relationship going further towards intimacy than your emotional relationship? Because you should be emotionally more connected to the person you're dating than you are physically connected. To the person you're dating. So, someone should be asking you those questions, and guess what? It can't be your boyfriend or girlfriend that's holding you accountable. Someone should be saying, Are you going too far sexually? Did you cross this line? Did you cross that line? What are you gonna do about it? So, most likely that person needs to be a parent, a teacher, a pastor, your small group leader, someone that you respect spiritually that agrees with the boundaries you're setting and agrees with your personal long-term interest. It should not be someone who's vested or has their own agenda in your relationship with this other person.
1: Well, truthfully, that's an unfair position to put your boyfriend or girlfriend in, like to have them be your accountability in that moment. Like you're just setting yourselves up for failure. And then you could hold that against them. Like, well, you didn't say no. You didn't stop me. We both talked about this boundaries and it just gets ugly. And so it does need to be somebody who's objective, who's outside of the relationship for safety's sake, right? For, for that emotional safety and, and being able to talk freely and not have the investment of the relationship get in the way.
0: So there's a hero of our faith named King David and um, King David was an awesome guy. The Bible said he was a man after God's own heart. And also, he messed up when it came to his relationships, romantic relationships, a lot. In one particular instance, he, as a king, was on the roof of the palace. Apparently, he liked to go there for nightly strolls. And he looked out (laughs) and he saw, from his vantage point, a woman bathing on her roof. Okay, that sounds super weird to us, um, but apparently it was very common in that day because they had no running water, and the woman was bathing on her roof. She was naked, because that's what you do when you're taking a bath, and he's peeping Tom. <laughs> what? He, yeah, he like... I've been doing
1: it wrong this whole time? <laughs> bathing her? Yeah, full shirt, full jeans, full shoes. <laughs> I, I never mind what I thought. Okay. I'm just kidding. All right. So
0: King David is peeping Tom on the girl, and because he's the king, he sends someone to fetch her, and she comes, and I don't exactly know how it progressed, but somehow they had intercourse, and she got pregnant. She went back home, discovered a couple weeks later, as women do, that she was indeed pregnant, and she sent word to King David and said, hey, by the way, um, I'm knocked up. Plot twist, she was actually married to someone else named Uriah who was a soldier in King David's army away on a foreign field in battle and could not have been the father of said baby if y'all count the months out, right? (laughs) And so in the end, long story short, King David murders this woman's husband and um, brings her to the palace and marries her. Yeah, straight up. This is a dude that the Bible says is a hero of our faith, a man after God's own heart. And I tell you this story because you might be sitting in this room saying, I've made some mistakes. Made some mistakes when it comes to my dating relationship. You know what? Everybody has. And God says they're forgivable. That is not the unforgivable sin to make mistakes in a romantic relationship. But what helped King David is he had a guy in his life that was a mentor, and his name was Nathan, and Nathan f- found out about what he had done with this woman and called him on it, went before the king and, and, and called him out, and King David allowed that man to have a say in his romantic life, listened to him, and it was like, you're right, and so this following text in the Bible that I'm going to read is actually David's response to being held accountable for his bad romantic behavior, Psalm 51, David is talking. He says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin. Yeah, when we make wrong sexual choices, it's sin. And David acknowledged that and recognized it. He said, wash me clean from my guilt and purify me for my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. And if we're honest, there's a lot of us in this room that are haunted by the decisions we've made romantically. And and the devil tries to use those mistakes to torment us with guilt and shame and disappointment in ourselves. David goes on to say, against you and you alone have I sinned, talking to God. And it's important to realize that our romantic relationships aren't just us and the girl or us and the guy. They they involve the Lord as well. When, When we are Christians and Christ followers, God is involved in our relationships with others. And so when we sin by crossing these lines, that affects our relationship with God. I've heard so many people say, well, I am still really, really close to God, but my boyfriend and I are having sex. I still feel really, really close to God, but I'm in a bisexual relationship. I'm really, really close to God, but I have this porn addiction. I'm really, really close to God, but we have to realize, like King David did, that when we are crossing the line of sexual immorality, that it does affect our relationship with God. And I don't say that to make us feel guilt and shame, because I think we all feel enough guilt and shame when it comes to our sexuality and the mistakes that we recognize we've made. I say it because only when we acknowledge that can we heal from it. Only when we admit that to the Lord can we move past it. So he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight and you will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. Purify me from my sin and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And I think this is so key because sometimes when we sin, we think we're pushed out of God's love and out out of God's ability to forgive, but nothing could be further from the truth. No matter where you've gone, no matter which boundaries you've crossed, God's love and mercy and compassion still pursues you. When it comes to dating relationships and sexuality outside of marriage, I did nothing.
1: I did everything.
0: But we all stand before God the same. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He doesn't condemn us. Instead, he challenges us to evaluate our own hearts and see where it's at. And so for just a brief moment, I would invite everyone to just close their eyes in this room because I think it's so important we give each other privacy to consider spiritual things. And I don't know your story. I can't know what's gone on in your heart when it comes to your romantic relationships, but you do, and the Lord does. And so I want you in the privacy of your heart to just evaluate, look at yourself, look at how you've acted towards girlfriends, towards boyfriends, and just talk to the Lord about it. If you recognize there's something in your your patterns, in your habits, in your relationships, where you've just been cruel and harsh, like I was, rejecting and hurting, tell them about it. If you realize you've crossed some lines and you've made some mistakes and you've gone past some boundaries, talk to him about it. If you recognize that maybe you have an addiction to pornography, talk to him about it. Whatever it is, he already knows, he's already seen, he's not disgusted by it. He he just wants communication. And so tell him. Tell him what's gone on. God, you know, just like King David, you know, the mistakes we've made, you know the times that we fell short. And we ask in Jesus' name that you would just shine a light of your truth on those spots. And forgive us. Forgive us for each time we've fallen short. And wash us clean as white as snow like you did King David. No one in this room has committed murder over romantic mistakes. And if you could clean King David and call him a man after your heart, we know that you can clean us up and call us people that pursue your heart as well. Students, the truth is so often guilt and shame is attached to mistakes in, of a sexual nature. And if you feel guilty and ashamed about it, that's not from God. The Bible says God convicts us. He points out the error until we repent, until we say we're sorry. Then he doesn't accuse us over and over again. We accuse ourselves. The devil might accuse us, but he doesn't. So if you're feeling guilt and shame after you've repented and apologized to God, I want to pray for that to be broken off of you tonight. God, we bind up guilt and shame. We bind up self-condemning thoughts and self-hatred about mistakes and addictions that we might have of a sexual nature. And we pray that you would set us free from that. We know that you invented and created man and woman, you created relationship, you created marriage, you created sexuality, you gave us context for it, and you call it all good. And God, we pray in Jesus' name, that guilt and shame that's just entered into it, that it would just be removed, and that you would heal us and deliver us from it. God, we love you. And we want to learn more and more about how you want us to interact in relationships. We pray that you would reveal that to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.